Welcome to Crash Chords Autographs. Today, Matt welcomes magician, DJ, and host Nelson Lugo, aka DJ Lugotron, aka DJ Jalopy. A three-time Crash Chords podcast veteran, Lugo stops into autographs to chat with Matt about his continued work and some updates to his latest one-man show, Cheating Death, Magic, Memoirs, and Mortality. They talk about his relatively recent dive into DJing, how he got started, his partnership with Schaefer the Dark Lord, and what it's like to be a performance DJ in a live show environment. They also discussed Lugo's monthly gig at the Red Room, above KGB Bar in New York, called Green Fairy, a live jazz age party, show, and absinthe tasting event. And so, from Lugo's monthly open mic and variety show, to his love of 90s hip-hop, here's presenting Matt Storm and Nelson Lugo. Rock Band was a great game. It was. Though I didn't buy the new one that they put out like a year ago. Uh, I couldn't be bothered buying all the peripherals again. There's a new, new one. Um, completely different. It's an iOS game. Oh, yes. I heard about cards it. cards and this peripheral with these cards. That are, um, DJ it, something. Yeah, it looks really cool. So, yeah, a friend of mine was telling me about it. You, know, you like slam down the card and then yeah. someone else slams down another card and it mixes the tracks live. Yeah, because it, it, I think it's like something like four or five slots. Mm-hmm. And then you have like bass cards and like drum cards, horn cards, and vocal. Like, basically, what you end up doing is you end up uh, having to slam down different cards because the screen tells you, give me a bass in three, <laughs> two, and you have to slam it down right. before you lose, basically. Um, it looks interesting, but I haven't been able to find it in stores. It's been sold out, but I forget what it's called. A friend of mine was telling me about it, though. It sounds really cool. It's it, it's a game, though, in the way that Rock Band is a game. No yeah. one really wins. No. no you no, just no. do stuff and you it's play. fun. It's, yeah. Well, it's... it's, it's in much the same way that Rock Band was never a guitar simulator. No. It was a Rock Band simulator. Th- that's what Rocksmith was. Rocksmith right. was Rocksmith. an actual guitar yes. simulator. Yes, Rock Band was like rock, a superstar, a rock superstar simulator. Except for the drums. Drums were sort of close. I have a friend of mine I only spoke to, I spoke to recently who said yeah. that he became a drummer. Because of Rock Band? Well, like he knew that he would be good at, he's a younger guy, he knew that he had a knack for drums because of Rock Band. Oh, okay. And then his parents bought him an electric drum set. Oh, cool. And I was like, oh, well that's awesome. <laughs> but also you're you're like 12 then. <laughs> right, yeah. Because that came out when I was already a full-blown adult and shouldn't have been playing video games. I love, uh, no, it was great. I miss it. I, miss I do it. too. And my, my apartment's way too small now to have any of the instruments. So. I still have it, but a disc, my disc is no good, but I have over a thousand downloaded songs on my Xbox. Good gravy. Yeah. And uh, Holy schmoly. And, and it kills me that the disc doesn't work, but I'm going to end up getting rid of everything because I never touch my Xbox. But yeah, I have a lot of music. I was going to start hosting a rock band night at the way station, and then when I, I planned it, I booked oh, it. Oh yeah, I remember that. I made a karaoke book with all the songs I had, yeah, yeah. and then that day, the, the disc was working fine up until the day I tested it at the event. The disc didn't work. Well, just get a new disc. Well, yeah, but I, there were people turned up and we couldn't play. So I threw the disc against the wall and I said, I'm fucked this. I'm never doing all this work again. 
I'm sure you've had those moments. <laughs> right. At first you don't succeed, just give up. Well, you know. That's the lesson we've learned That's here. That's the lesson. All right, I suppose I should get to introducing you. No, um, why bother? There's no cold open here. This no, is just, the first non-cold open. Just, just fucking, just who cares? <laughs> who cares? So cynical as always. No one cares. <laughs> um, welcome to another episode of Crash Chords Autographs. I, of course, am Matt, a.k.a. Stormageddon. And my guest this week is Nelson Lugo, a.k.a. DJ Lugatron, a.k.a. DJ Del- Jalopy. Nelson Lugo. Oh, and the Charming Trickster. I'm, I'm using it. that less and less these days. The Charming Trickster? Yeah. That was your original. That was like your original moniker, wasn't it? Yeah, for a long, long time. A long time, when you yeah. were when you were doing a lot of magic, and now mostly you're not <laughs> doing any magic. Well, no, I'm still doing, no, yeah. I'm still doing a lot of magic. I just, uh, I don't know, I just, I've just grown this really awful distaste for taglines. Yeah, I mean, I've never really had one, and I um, keep thinking I need one, and then no, I'm like, no. No one needs one. No one. <laughs> no one fucking needs a tagline. And it's just, I don't know, it's just, it's gross. It's, <laughs> it's sort of like, I don't know, it's sort of like... If if you ever heard if if you ever heard a magician you never heard about right. refer to themselves as Waldo the Magnificent, would you take him seriously? No, not at all. Fuck no. No, of course not. No, he, you would not in a million fucking years. So like, why the fuck would anybody take anyone seriously <laughs> when when they demand to be introduced as you know so and so you know Becky Big Lips, the two ton Tessie from Tessalusa. Like, who cares? No one cares. <laughs> Did you just make that up? I literally just made that up. That's incredible. I'm very <laughs> impressed. Um, so, so, it's been a while since we've spoken on the airwaves. Um, it you has are, been a while. You yeah. are still the reigning champion of the Crash Chords podcast, having been on that show three times. <gasps> nice! Yeah. No one's broken my record yet? No. Um, I th- you might... Are you tied? Or am I tied with anyone? You might, I think you're tied with someone, but you've never, no one's ever, no. You, Who am I tied with? So you and Charles Sutton would have been tied uh-huh. if she hadn't come on once under her regular name and once with Mark. So <laughs> technically she hasn't been on three times. <laughs> so, I'll take I'll take the technicality. Yeah, so, I'll take you, it. so you went on a technicality. <laughs> but since. So like I'm, I'm three, but with like a little asterisk above it. <laughs> well, also we've been on an almost indefinite hiatus, so I don't know that we'll be having anyone else on anyway. Aw. Oh, that's sad. Yeah, we released a, an April Fool's episode. By the time this will come, have come out, it'll be about a month ago. Right. Um, another podcast in Canada called the Music A to Z podcast. They do full discographies, like yeah. we do albums. Yeah. And so we swapped formats. They released an episode we recorded on their feed of their show that oh, we did. Okay. And we released an episode. They recorded our podcast in our format, and we released it on our feed. And so it was that's a fun cool. little thing. And we hadn't recorded since last July. So. Oh. All right. It was fun to put something out. So, th- so there's no more music. You've done it all. Well, congratulations. I'm, yeah, I went in music. Covered all the albums that have ever been recorded. No, we did it. Good for you, boys. Such a such a small fraction. We eventually are going to come back with a different format. I think maybe individually right. in, uh, stuff. But anyway, whatever. Since we last spoke, you've become more invested in music. Have I? You have. You uh, have been DJing by our mutual friend, who you hate. With a passion and yet love at the same time, Mr. Schaefer the Dark Lord. He's you, okay. He's all right. He's all right. He's grown on me. Um, you started doing, uh, you're his DJ 
lately. You've been doing yeah, a lot of shows with him. Completely by accident. Completely by accident. So this this came uh, about. So you had started DJing for um, an old timey party, an absinthe party, right? That's where it first started. Yeah, like it's a it's sort of like a Gatsby inspired absinthe tasting party. Okay. Um, run by a lovely gentleman whom I guess we both know, Don Spiro. Oh yes, I love yeah. Don. He's a uh, wonderful photographer oh, yeah. and producer. Fantastic, lovely human being, and he produces these monthly. Uh, absinthe tastings where there's a new varietal of absinthe every month. I didn't even know there was that many varietals of absinthe. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and that's just, and that's the point. Like, yeah. like uh, Don loves absinthe and he mm -hmm. wanted to bring absinthe to the people and to the world by and large and, and have these nights, which he calls Green Fairy, to be like an educational sort of thing. You you come in, you learn about the absinthe of the month, you mm -hmm. learn what makes it unique, you learn a little bit about the history of absinthe, um, and you get a taste of it. And during this, there's there's a show, there's a floor show, there's a live pianist, there's a, there's burlesque, there's singing, there's sideshow, oh, there's cool. magic. Um, and I was originally hired, I muscled my way in, actually, uh, because I was going to go anyway. Right. So I, I basically emailed Don. I said, hey, Don, would you like to have some close-up magic at your show? <laughs> Do you want this thing that only I can provide yeah. so I can be a part of your show? Exactly. And he's like, well, I don't know. I'm just starting out. I don't know if I can pay you. And I said, you know what? How about this? You let me in for free. You give me a drink. I'll work the room for free. And uh, Don's like, all right, done. So I came in, and like I think that lasted maybe three months. Okay. Um, three shows, basically. Right. And... And then, I, and it was right around this time I was starting to get really, really interested in DJing. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I noticed that between the live music, he was just hitting play on, a, on an iPad, essentially. Right. And uh, no disrespect to Don, who's a lovely, lovely man, but his playlist was a bit, I don't know, Blah, a, right. little, a little one note, a little. Sure. And and I thought I could, and I was thinking about music, and I was thinking about DJing, and I was thinking about um, this idea of beats per minute and and getting and reading the room and all this stuff. And and I, I approached Don. I said, Hey, um, do you think I could just maybe DJ next month? Because I, I I noticed you have a playlist, but I think I can do a little bit better than that. And he's like, Yeah. And that was it. From that point forward, I was the DJ of Green Fairy, and I've gotten so much equipment since then. <laughs> Isn't it funny uh, when you go down that rabbit hole when the minute you think you know anything about anything, you start going, well, I need all of this stuff. <laughs> like, even though I don't know how any of it works, I want all of it. Yeah, and, uh, well, I mean, to be fair, I mean, I was um, thinking about what it means to be a DJ, sure. and what that means to me and my life uh, currently, and what, and, and, and wondering, because I was thinking, because I've been feeling like I've been at a crossroads artistically mm -hmm. and kind of in a bit of a rut. And I kind of discovered DJing and I've gotten bit by the bug, as mm -hmm. they say. Sure, yeah. Um, and so before this, I was at a, a show that Schaefer the Dark Lord was at. I think he was, he wasn't headlining, but I think he was the, the act before the headliner. Okay. I think he opened, he didn't open, but I think he was on before MC Frontalot, I think. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was a, really kind of just fucked up, ragtag, cobbled together kind of show on stage. And the sound guy, and you know this guy because you've met him a million I'm times. Sure. He's the failed punk rock musician <laughs> who got who got a gig at a bar as the sound guy. Yeah. And everything is crap and no good music was made after like ACDC broke up or something. <laughs> um, and someone had, and there was a long, long table and all of the acts had put their equipment on there, all of their laptops, all of their mixers, all their stuff. And someone had spilled 
So a, a bottle of beer at Topples. Oh, and, no. and it shorted one of the wires. And so whenever Schaefer, and you know, and Schaefer's a very energetic performer, mm -hmm. so whenever he started jumping around, it would jostle the table, which would jostle the short, and it would cut his music out. Oh, jeez. Um, and, he, and he was only doing like a 30-minute set. Right. But he had to like restart like a few songs over, and, and I'm standing there. Meanwhile, I've been thinking about DJing for a month, right? Right. And I'm slowly like, I'm playing with DJ apps on my iPad and downloading stuff to my computer and collecting music and really sort of thinking about, you know, beat matching and, and counts and stuff. And I'm standing there like stroking my beer going, hmm, you know what he needs? He, he needs, needs someone to, to press play on his, <laughs> wait a minute. You mean that thing that literally every DJ has? Yes. He's been so, uh, using the black box for so long. Right, right. Um, and he's so used to just doing that. He's just so right. used to being a solo act that it never even occurred to him to even ask anybody. Sure. So after the show, when he, he was basically just essentially just complaining about the fucking set and about the beer and about the short, and I kind of, I just kind of tapped him on the shoulder. I'm like, hey, um, next time you do your thing, do you think I could just be the guy who pushes play on your, for your music? And then the floodgates opened. <laughs> well, and I'm sure the light bulb went off because it's one of those things where sometimes when something's right in front of you, you yeah. don't even see it. Yeah. Well, the thing is, like, I kind of just suggested it. He fucking took this idea and ran with of it. Of course. Like, he, we, we created a burlesque, uh, not burlesque, my fucking brain. We created a, <laughs> a, a DJ character for me. Uh -huh. we, we created skits. We create. We wrote bits. Of course. I have a whole, like, uh, there's a DJ gag that I do in in his set as oh, my introduction. Awesome. Excellent. And all of that's his fucking idea. Sure. Uh, and so... Well, I know from experience with the Epic Podcast that 90% yeah. of the post-production in any production is him. You oh, yeah. Can, you kind oh, of yeah. just show up and do your thing. <laughs> well... And he's got these ideas. Well, you have. Well, I mean... I, I bring ideas to the table. That's true. But he's the one doing the grunt work. He's, yeah. he's got a lot of shtick. He yeah. likes a, he likes shtick, though. He's always been a fan of Oh, he of loves that, that shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and, the, and the good news is I love that shit, too. Yeah. So uh, it was... Also, we had been missing... Being on stage together. Sure. Um, once, once he sort of stepped away from producing burlesque shows that we had done, and then I stepped away from it. There wasn't. We never really had any opportunities to share the stage again. Sure. And we were getting. I don't. I don't know what it is. Like I don't know. Nostalgic, antsy, wistful. <laughs> right. Exactly. You know, All like, those things that come with old right. age. And so this is the sort of perfect sort of opportunity for us to sort of banter on stage and have our shtick on stage, but still. You know, do the things that we both love. He loves he loves rapping in front of an audience. Sure. And I really love being a DJ in front of an audience. So it's kind of the best of both worlds. That's awesome. I you think it's, it's it's always cool for me to see artists that I enjoy dive into something else and get really passionate about it. The funny thing about you and I is we've always talked about video games and other stuff. Yeah. But once once you started DJing, you started just messaging me on Facebook. And at first I'm like, oh, it's Nelson just reaching out. I hear from him once in a while. And then like it was almost every week and then every day <laughs> and it's like hey do you do this hey I have a question about this I was like oh he really wants to talk to me about DJing and I was so excited because the thing about me DJing in the burlesque scene which sure. I've done for a while is a lot of DJs and there's nothing wrong with this who DJ in the burlesque scene just kind of throw stuff together and press buttons and that's fine that's because fine. at the end of the yeah. day most burlesque shows that's all they need right um but I've always taken it a step further. I make my custom playlists. I yeah. try and get involved in the shtick with the stage and all of that stuff. And so I've kind of created a different kind of path for it. And so 
most of the other DJs I met were either people who are actually performers who just like music and want to DJ for mm -hmm. certain shows, mm -hmm. or they're just a guy who showed up to press a button. And right, or, or some burlesque spouse who, right. who has been sort of uh, uh, volunteered into service, basically. Right. And so, uh, like, it was a bummer because I didn't really have those chats. And I also didn't, like, I've met more or less, and I've met, like, the nerdcore DJs and these, mm -hmm. like, you know, and I talked to Michael Kill, but, like, I'm not making beats, so it's a different level also. Like, right. I can't have a conversation there. You're the first person I've met who's between those worlds. You're interested <laughs> in both, but you know what it's like to be on one side or the other yeah. of DJ. Yeah. You're not just an artist who's trying to make his own mixes. You also have run sound for shows and produce oh, yeah. shows. And so it was really exhilarating to have those conversations and then like talking about dropping it on the one and how you, which you figured out since we I, last spoke. Yes, yes, my, uh, my, my significant other, my girlfriend? That's what they're called. God damn it. Um, no, I only, well, first of all, it, honey, if you're listening to this, I'm not saying God damn it, you're my girlfriend. <laughs> I'm saying I'm a 45 year old man who's using the term girlfriend, girlfriend. to describe you. You could say partner. Partner, significant other, you know. Uh, lady friend. Lady friend. No, she's not a lady friend. <laughs> we have sex. That's <laughs> she's, fair. She's more than a lady, lady friend. friend. That's fair. Um, she, uh, she, she bought me for Christmas a lesson, a one-on-one -on -one lesson. Oh, awesome. With, with one of the uh, DJ instructors, instructors at the Scratch Academy um, downtown. Uh, and which is a which is a, a course that I am lusting over, but it's like five thousand oh, dollars for like geez. a five week course. I mean, it's a very comprehensive five sure. week course, and you I mean, you you walk in a noob, you leave fucking like at least a, a, a high amateur, low professional, you right. know. Uh, so it's worth it, you know. Um, but I can't afford five thousand sure. dollars. So she got me a one on one lesson with one of the instructors. I think it was like a two hour one on one lesson. And I walked in, and he's like, hey, I've got to forget. Oh, man, he told me his DJ name. I fucking forgot it. Anyway, uh, if you're, I don't think he's listening to us, but Mr. DJ at Scratch Academy, this is Nelson Lugo. Uh, if you remember me, you're awesome. Um, he, I, he walked in, and he said, all right, how much do you know? And I said, well, I've been, you know, I've been, I've been messing around. You know, I've, I use these apps. I have, I have a, a, this, this um, Pioneer controller. And um, I've done this party, this type of party, this type of party. So I said, oh, okay, all right, so you're walking into this with some experience. So what are, you, what are you looking to learn? And I looked him dead in the eye and said, just teach me how to drop it on the one. That's it. That's, That's all I want to know. That's all I need. Just teach me to drop it on the one, um, and I'm going to be good to go. And he's like, he's like, all right, we got two hours. Let's get to work. <laughs> and it was amazing. It was an That's amazing experience. fantastic. Yeah. Well, that's cool yeah. that... Uh, so. Uh, we'll come back to, to music in a, in a sure. moment um, because I, there's more stuff I want to talk about. But, of course, I met you and know you as a magician, which sure. you still are. Sure, sure. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> Debatable. Debatable. <laughs> and you, you've been uh, a while now working on your uh, forthcoming show, Cheating Death. Yes. Which I know you've been working on for a while. Yes. Um, has your DJing influenced producing and writing that show or any of your other acts that you've done? Or have they kind of... Stayed in their own lanes. Uh, funny you should mention that. No, not directly, at least not yet. But okay. I am actively thinking about how to incorporate all of that. Um, uh, I guess, like <laughs> in my fantasy world, mm -hmm. um, I imagine because I'm watching a lot of um, hip hop documentaries. 
a lot of history of hip-hop, listening to a lot of podcasts that talk about um, where hip-hop came from and where it's going. Lots of YouTube channels that are talking about the state of hip-hop and, and like, who's, who's, uh, who's, like, trending now versus who was trending yesterday and how it's grown. And so all of this information is being pushed into my shot glass of a brain. And there is a part of me, because I, I grew up in the Bronx when hip-hop was born. Sure. So um, I was listening onto radio the first um, sputterings of proto-hip-hop um, before anyone knew what the fuck it was. Right. And, and, you know, listening to Roxanne and Roxanne and Roxanne's Revenge and, and all the stuff that came before that. And so I feel connected to this genre of music in, in a way that I don't with other types of music. And there's a part of me that wants to do like a, like a solo show history of hip-hop. That'd be really cool. Yeah, and from but also from a storytelling sp- perspective, because I grew up in the Bronx, and right. I mean, although um, when I was born, it was it was that sort of like the middle tail end of the sort of Bronx's burning period. Mm-hmm. Um, but so my my parents grew up in the era where it was pretty fucking bad. Right. Um, but there's still a connection. I'm I'm sure there's stories I can mine in my life that sort of center around music or other people's music, and and then you know have like. A moment of actually DJing on stage, and you know, going from like Apache Bongo to, you know, to you know Jeezy, and uh, <laughs> and uh, and and everything else in between. You sure. know, now will I do that? No, God, no. There's no way. There's no fucking way. But what I probably can do is sort of merge my love of magic storytelling and hip hop mm-hmm. into something that's a bit more. In my wheelhouse. Right. You know what I mean? I don't know what that is yet, but the wheels are turning. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. I, th- I think, I mean, you know, that was the, another thing I was going to bring up is you're a natural storyteller. You've always been, and in your first show, mm. um, Gathering the Magic, it's what I loved about it the most, it, that there were, there were quiet moments, but for the most part, you were taking us through this narrative while doing these magic tricks. Right. And telling right. stories. Um so I think it's really interesting that you want to do something like that. I mean, I have to say, you've made one of the greatest hip-hop playlists I've ever listened to. Oh, stop. No, I'm serious. You're, <laughs> the one that you sent me, my favorite thing, though, is you're modded. You're, 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 you're telling me to shut up, but shut you send up. it to me online, and you're like, here, listen to this. And I check it out, and of course, it's some of my favorite hip-hop from that, that era. Um, I'm curious about your um, process for building a playlist, because for me... I don't always do beat matching, but I think subconsciously I do. I think mm. I just kind of know where songs fit. Right. For the most part, when I'm following a theme, genre matters less. It's pacing and style. Like right. if I have a bunch of really fast-paced songs, then I may want to put something slow in to break it up and right. then speed it back up again. When you're building playlists within a specific genre, like you do as DJ Jalopy, or when you're, you're building that hip-hop playlist, do you kind of plan out or you just kind of go and then just create as you move through it? Um, this is going to sound so fucking preschool DJ. <laughs> uh, if, if there are any DJs listening to this, please forgive me. Yeah, it's um, fine. When I'm, when I'm DJing vintage music, and this is music from like the 20s, 30s, late 40s, basically, um, I, I, I essentially, <laughs> I go from lowest BPM to highest BPM. Okay. Right? So if if a song is is at eighty three pp BPM, mm-hmm. I'll find something that's eighty four to come up next, and then eighty five to follow that, and eighty six to follow that. And wh- what I find, at least at least in vintage music, because vintage music doesn't 
beat match well. It doesn't right. like you. It's 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 hard to well not hard. It's difficult to drop it on the one because it's it's a weird. They made music in a very different way. Right. Back then, and so it's it's not as clear cut as dropping it on the one on a lot of these songs. So. What I end up doing as as uh, but they all but they all do a, they all have a lot of fade outs in them. Right. So as one is fading out, I'm bringing in the next one regardless of where the beat is because it's usually just a lot of strings. Right. So because there's no there's no drum there's no bass that keeps the thing going. So I'm more by feel than than actual beat. Mm-hmm. Um, and I find that if I go from low to high, it particularly at the um, at the Green Fairy parties because it's usually when the live music has ended, mm-hmm. and so I'm the filler between the next act, or, um, or at the end of the night when the show is over, but people are still drinking, I'm still playing. Right. So it's always good to go for something just a little bit more mellow, and then ramp up. Mm-hmm. So by the time it's time for the live show or for the piano to come back, people are amped, right? They're like, "Oh my god, that was my favorite song! I was just about to get up and dance, and all the live piano players coming out." Yeah. Um, and so it's always this 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 uh, uh, feeling of going... Uh, <laughs> it's like a rise. Right. Yeah. And and then when I take over at the end of the night, then I can do a little more freeform stuff. I sure. Can, I can... I'll play, I'll play, you know, more modern takes on vintage music. Right. Like... like uh, uh, postmodern jukebox, them, or yeah. or swing music, mm-hmm. or uh, electro swing, or modern. What do they call it? <clears throat> modern something or other. I forget. I forget the genre. But it's it's less vintage music and more sort of vintage inspired music to get right. people sort of pumping. Um, <clears throat> for non vintage music stuff, I it's really about what the crowd wants. Right. It's it's really about Absolutely. what they want and what and what's expected of me. Yeah. What I've been doing is more warm up sets. Yeah. So my job is not really to get them dancing it, so much. It's to really get them like in the mood to hear a lot of really fantastic stuff. Right. Right. So <clears throat> I'm not dropping like modern bangers. Right. I'm dropping stuff from like the 80s, the 90s, and the aughts. Right. You know that people recognize and go, oh my, which is not nobody. Nobody's gonna be doing that. Yeah. Live, no, no, of course. Uh, and so, unless Schaefer decides to cover "Kryptonite" by Three Doors Down, <laughs> which I mean, who knows? Although he he is he has covered my prerogative. He has, That's true. but it's Britney Spears's version, of course, of it my is. prerogative. Because of course it is. Because Britney Spears's version is far superior. <laughs> fight you, me on it. You heard it here. Fight first. me on it, Internet. I will fight you on it. Um, um, but I guess I build I build playlists more along the lines of. What I like, right? And because if I like it, then I'm gonna have fun doing it, and hopefully it'll translate to them having fun mm-hmm. doing it. Um, and because uh, I think I think my sort of ear for music is very is, is more common. No, that's that's the wrong word. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, the music I like is like the top forty stuff, sure. the pop stuff, the popular stuff. I love that stuff, and. It's popular for a reason. So if I'm going to play, you know, like Walk It Like Egyptian from the Bangles, everybody knows what that song is. Sure. Everybody's going to rock to it. Whether or not right. they dance to it is, is entirely different. But they're going to they're gonna go, oh, my God, I haven't heard this song in years. Uh, and so that's what I want to bring to the table. I want to I I present the music I love to people and hope they like it, ultimately. 
Well, my experience with private events is just that. Like, there's never going to be a moment where I play Uptown Funk and people don't dance to it. Exactly. Period. Like, end of story. I love Uptown Funk. Uh, end of story, <laughs> that song will always get people moving. But that, re- that and Missy Elliott's, uh, 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 oh, God, what the fuck? Well, literally every Missy everything, Elliott's, everything, everything, everything Missy Elliott's ever ever written. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's interesting to me because when I first started DJing, I would put together playlists of just shit I knew, and sometimes it was hit or miss. But when I learned to make it like the majority of top forty, and then sprinkle in the stuff that I know or like, then people be like, "Oh, what was that song? That was really great. I didn't yeah. recognize it." Yeah, yeah. And so I've been doing that more, and it's my my favorite thing is when I have themed shows like. Um, you know, if Wasabasco did a sci-fi show, mm-hmm. like I would grab something by MC Frontalot or, or <laughs> you know, Schaefer, like that was sci-fi themed and throw it in there. And then people were like, I don't know who that is. Who is that? And so I can promote my friends too, which yeah. is really fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but all in all, like, you're right. Those things are popular for a reason. Like I have no bones about admitting that I like Taylor Swift and I think her music's pretty good. Taylor, I like Taylor Swift. And I think that her music is catchy enough that if you put it on, people are going to really get into it, yeah. you know? Oh, absolutely. And, and I'm curious now that you've been DJing for a while and know that and also been doing magic for a while, are there certain tricks that you do that are also for the crowd that they'll enjoy even <laughs> if you're not, if you, even though you don't necessarily, it's your go-to always? Uh, I'm going to let you in on a, <clears throat> on a Nelson Lugo secret. Sure. Uh, I don't give a fuck if the audience likes what I do or not. As, as a magician. Let me, right. be, let me be very, very specific about this. As a magician. As a magician, I don't give a fuck if they like what I do or not. Because I'm going to do whatever the hell I want, regardless of whether or not I think they're going to like it. Now, I've been very fortunate in that the stuff that I do, people happen to like. Right. They respond to it very well. You know, I've been doing it a very long time. So I know uh, it's polished. It's it, they're, they're mostly, you know, very solid acts. Um, there are some acts where I could be asleep and do it and I'll still get... Thunder's applause because it's that good, right? Right. Um, but DJing and storytelling are very different, right? Uh, well, only because the reason the reason why I don't care when it comes to magic is that magic is fucking hard, of course, and it takes a long fucking time to learn something, and I have to be performing something for a year before I even can decide whether or not I like it, right? Because I can't make that decision until I've done it enough times where it's, it's I'm not thinking about the moves anymore. I'm just yeah. I'm just going through the it's muscle memory at that point, right? Right. And then it's going to probably take another year before I realize audiences like it or not. Right. So it's ultimately it's 2 years until I have to look at it and go this is working or not working. Right. So because I spend so much fucking time learning how to do stupid fucking magic tricks <laughs> At the end of the day, if it works and people like it, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> if, they, if it works and they don't like it, but I like it, I don't give a fuck. Um, because it took me too fucking long to fucking let it go at this point. <laughs> I'm, looking, I'm married to this trick. Yeah, I'm going to die with this trick. Storytelling, however, is very, it's relatively still new to me. At least, mm-hmm. at least the art form known as storytelling. Because right. um, you've been telling stories for a long time, just being on stage as a host. Yeah, I mean, I, I never knew it had uh, rules. I never right. knew it had like there was a, there was a dedicated art form right. to it. And then I learned that there were like whole other shows and competitions and and all kinds of people. And I'm like, what? Yeah. And so now now I'm a storyteller, and I care very much. What people think. Right. 
Uh, because most of the time, it's it's very vulnerable stuff. It's slice of life. It's it's mine from my own personal experience. They're true. And so if I go up there and tell a story and people don't like it, I automatically think I'm a failure and people don't like me. Uh, <laughs> right, because it takes you a long time to get to that place. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Wait, you mean artists are sensitive and self-deprecating? It's never uh, hard it. DJing is weird. Yeah. Um, as you could probably attest to this. Well, it's like... It's... It's vulnerable, but it's not vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I want people to like it, but it's, reading the crowd is a separate skill, mm -hmm. as I'm sure you're, you've come to understand. Yep. And um, there have been times where I just read the room entirely wrong, <laughs> mm -hmm. entirely fucking wrong. Mm -hmm. um, luckily, people make requests, and yes. requests are, Fucking gold. They're well, because nuggets. at least one person's going to be stoked, and they're yeah. going to make all their friends stoked. Right. Uh, like, like this one time, I did a theater party, a theater fundraising party, mm -hmm. and I thought I was playing some really great stuff. And like 15 minutes in, nobody was dancing. I'm like, oh, geez, what the hell? And then someone came up to me and like requested ABBA or some disco song, and I'm like, oh. All right. Oh, all right. And so I pl I played some ABBA and everybody fucking hit the dance floor. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, all right. Got it. I, I see what I'm working with. Yeah. I have six disco songs. Let's see how long I can stretch this stupid <laughs> motherfucker. So, <laughs> so, so yeah. So it's DJing is weird because because I want them to have a good time. Like right. I want them to love what I'm doing because if they if they love what I'm doing, then they're going to respond. Mm -hmm. and it's a, it's a different give and take than than any other art form. Yeah, um, absolutely. You know, like magic, I can I can be up there alone. I'll still do the damn act. You know, right. uh, storytelling. You know, it, it's as as long I, I need them to be attentive and somewhat literary. Yeah, like maybe they've read a book in their life. <laughs> You know, right. like I need that. If if, yeah. if if I walk into an audience that, you know, has, has basically uh, relies on, you know, television news to get uh, all of their information, <laughs> then I'm probably not going to do well. Uh, but yeah, it's a it's it's a different kind of performance high. Well, yeah, it's interesting yeah. with for me with DJing is like, so I started through burlesque. And so in the beginning, it was I was playing what I was given to play. Yeah. And then I started experimenting, but I was still more or less building it within uh, a, a certain constraints. But then I, I had my first corporate gig last year. I DJed a Halloween party for a big corporation. A friend of mine mm -hmm. who's in the burlesque scene is their receptionist. Yeah, yeah. And so she recommended me. Oh, shit. I think I know her. Yeah. And so it was a blast. And I had a great time. And they've already told me they want me back, which is wonderful. But awesome. there was this point during the party where I'm playing the top 40 hits. And, you know, people are dancing, but they're mostly talking. And I'm like, I don't understand. And then someone um, um, recommends a, a certain song um, called Particular by Major Lazer. And everybody hits the dance floor. Holy they lost shit. it. And I was like... Oh, they want, and it, it's kind of like this techno salsa yeah. infused stuff yeah, yeah, yeah. that a lot of their stuff is. And I was like, oh, so that's what they want. So then I just dug into that stuff yeah. and started playing. And you can kind of, but it's hard to read a room also at like a corporate gig because there's a ton of food. People are catching up. They haven't seen each other all year. The big wigs are trading ideas. Well, it's also so, corporate. It's also a, still a corporate environment, right? Right. So they don't they don't want to be inappropriate. Like right. they, they still want to like present a good. Um, professional face on. So, yeah, I, I would imagine that that's... 
And so a I, much tougher gig. I learned a lot from that. Whereas doing a wedding, especially a friend's wedding, it's like I can play anything. They're oh, gonna dance. Yeah, like exactly. it, it doesn't it doesn't matter at that point. And it's funny because I feel like I mean, among certain other things, our career paths have opposite trajectories because you've started DJing recently within the last few years, and I've started hosting within the last few years. <laughs> and, and, so, so, and so something I learned hosting that I, no one could have ever told me uh, is it's like stand-up comedy for cowards. And what I mean huh. by that is... I might agree with you. If I So hosting, most shows that I've hosted... It's been with the Magical Girl Burlesque folks, and they've been wonderful, and sure. the troupe is wonderful, and the, yeah, yeah. Very the lovely people, people. people who come out are wonderful. But it's funny, because I was always terrified of stand-up, but doing those shows, if I tell a joke, and it bombs, I dive into, into introducing somebody, and then nobody cares, and nobody remembers. Oh, yeah. And, oh, yeah, yeah. And that's given me so much more confidence to be an ass on stage, <laughs> because literally nobody cares. No. Unless no. I'm performing, which I don't, at least at this point, Nobody cares. No. They're there to see the acts. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, a few people may be coming out to see me host, but for the most part, they're there for the acts. Oh, God. No, 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 no. Let, let me let me, re- let me correct you right there. Nobody. No one is coming to see you host. <laughs> no one. Uh, a few years ago, I wanted to pitch <coughs> Joe Weldon a class, mm-hmm. of like you know, how to host 101, mm-hmm. or being a host 101. And I was literally going to stand there and give them three things. One, no one gives a fuck about you. <laughs> Two, no one came there to see you. Three, pronounce their names correctly. Yes. Done. End of class. <laughs> it's true. Go home. The worst uh, I ever felt hosting is pronouncing, mispronouncing someone's name multiple times in one show. Oh, yeah. I've done that Ugh. more times than I could possibly. I felt I'm, I'm really awful. Ho- I am horrible at that. Uh, but yeah, no, hosting is like, I don't know. I, I think hosting is great for people who want to learn humility very quickly. Yeah. And you will learn very, very quickly when you start hosting a show, no one cares. Yeah. Now, a good host can make a break, like a good host can turn a relatively like mediocre or a bad show better. Right. Right. Uh, a bad host will never ruin a good show. Right. Because the acts will be fucking stellar, and then the host will come out and go, oh, okay, we just got to get through this guy before our next good act comes out. Um and a bad host is not going to make a bad show worse. Right. It's just going to be a bad yeah, show. Yeah. You know. Uh, yeah, I could please. <laughs> I know. I. I <laughs> it's it's so funny. I. Uh, I was invited to host the first annual Latin and Hispanic Burlesque Festival. Ooh. In Orlando, Florida. That's cool. Yeah, it was a very very cool experience, and it was a. Uh, a wonderful two-day event with wonderful, wonderful people. Um, and, and like, all the while, like, they're giving me all their taglines and, like, eight pages worth of bio and <laughs> all this stuff. And I'm looking at them and going, look, I, I get that this is very important to you. I'm not going to say any of this. I'm the host. You either hire me because you know you you are convinced I know what I'm doing, or you can hire some Joe Schmo from the audience to read copy for you. Trust me, I'm going to do this justice, and and that's why I hate fucking taglines. Because you have to remember. No, 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 no. It's not that taglines were created because performers didn't trust the host. Right. Bad hosts would fuck up their name, fuck up their bio, fuck up whatever, and so in order to to mitigate bad hosting, they said, here's my name, blah, blah, blah. Here's my tag name, blah, 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 of burlesque. 
That's all you gotta say about me. And then I'm off to the races. But the problem is, is that when you give a tagline to a good host, someone who's been doing it and knows what they're doing, it's fucking insulting. It's like, <laughs> let me do my fucking job. It's, it's kind of like, yes, as a DJ, I welcome, um, I welcome requests, but I'm not a fucking jukebox. No. You know what I mean? Like, I came with a set. I came with, with music prepared. And, I mean, I'll play your music if I think it's going to help the situation or if I think it fits well. But, like, I'm not there. You're not going to put a fucking quarter in me and so I can play, you know, uh, uh, you know I don't know. <laughs> Tarzan Boy. By, Tarzan, yeah, exactly. By Baltimorea. Or, or they're coming to Although take I me away. Ha ha, ho ho, he he. <laughs> like, that might be a fun song to sing when you're drunk. That's not what this party wants. No. So, yeah, I mean, there's lots of, I don't know how I go off on this tangent. No, but, it's fine. Well, but I agree with that. Yeah. Like, to change the subject completely, like, something that drives me nuts at private parties, again, when I'm hired for a private event, I'm super happy to cater to what, if it's a wedding, what the couple oh, wants sure. and yeah. all that stuff. But, like, nothing drives me more crazy than these two things when dealing with requests. One, <laughs> okay. if someone requests a song and then they don't dance and it's a dance song. Oh, God. That drives me bonkers. That hasn't, Why? that hasn't happened to me yet. Why are you asking for this song if you don't care? Okay. Why? I'll watch out for that. Two is when they request a song and you have um, a queue of other requests yeah. or other songs that you just want to get to in yeah. an order and they keep coming back and going, when's my song going to play? When it plays, I promise I got you. I'm not going to lie to your face. I'm going to say I don't have that song, right. even if I do, if right. I don't want to play it. Right, 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 right. And so those are the uh. two things that, when dealing with a crest, drives me the most nuts. I'm happy to play anything for anyone if I think it fits the mood, or even if I think it'll take us a step back to kind of cool down, yeah, yeah, whatever. Exactly. You know, but but don't hassle me about it. <laughs> Just enjoy yourself. Because if you have to hassle me, you're not having fun. Because who has the time when they're having fun? Yeah, exactly. You're worried about this one damn song you haven't heard yet. Go out there and mingle, you fucking antisocial <laughs> piece of shit. Um, by the way, I'm available for all kinds of parties. NelsonLugo.com. Uh... Yeah, I don't know. It, it, I, it, it, it's interesting, though, I feel like when, and you could probably attest to this with DJing, when you step out of your comfort zone, it's it's both the best and worst experience you've ever had because the high is so high. Yeah. But it also you are, like for me, the first time I ever hosted, it was in a it was a basement show. It wasn't on a, in a venue. It wasn't a big crowd. It was mm -hmm. like 20 people. I stepped on stage, blackout. I don't remember anything I said. <laughs> I stepped off stage. <laughs> And everyone, t Lorena said, you did a great job. You were yeah. awesome. I was like, oh, great. I had no idea what I did. No. Um, because I was so blinded by the fear of, like, screwing up or, oh, sure. or doing something wrong. Oh, sure. But then every time after, I get better and the fear is lower and the high is higher. Did you experience that with DJing? Did you? Were you afraid of doing events at first? In the beginning? Not necessarily afraid, but were you nervous about doing your early DJ work? No. Well, I mean, I'm I'm weird in that I don't get stage fright. Oh, okay. I don't. That's I don't, the difference. I yeah. don't. I don't know what that is. Like I don't have an. I've never had an experience of stage fright. Interesting. Yeah. Like I've. I've. I've gotten. I've. I've been concerned about like disappointing people mm -hmm. or, or like doing something that screws someone else up. But I've never really ever been anxious about being. Um, in front of people doing a thing like that's mm -hmm. never really been a part of my life for right. whatever reason. Um, so when I first, when I, I guess my, the very first time, the, my very first gig was, I believe, a, 
another theater fundraiser for mm -hmm. the Tank Theater. Okay. Yeah. They're doing their annual fundraiser. And I think I wasn't really nervous. More, I was more about I wanted to do a good job for the Tank. And sure. so I was, that, that was where my concern was. And I didn't want to think, I didn't want them to think bad of me if I did a bad job. Right. Right. Um, luckily, I did okay. L luckily, you know, it, it was a great time. People loved it. Um, people were coming up to me afterwards and, oh my God, if I ever get married, you, you're going to be my DJ. And I'm like, uh, okay, thanks, I guess. Uh, <laughs> you know, but I, no, I don't think, I don't think I've ever really been nervous. Well, I guess also not having stage fright will, will fuel that in a different way. Because like I always, I grew up with a lot of stage fright, yeah. you know, and so getting in front of a crowd, like DJing was the perfect thing for me. I'm in a dark corner, no yeah. one can see me, <laughs> I'm, I'm manipulating things behind yes. the scenes. Yes, yes, yes. You know, like a dungeon master, like <laughs> nobody has to see me. You know, whereas then doing hosting, uh, it was a whole different story. Yeah. But I also got more comfortable with storytelling too, which I feel overlaps, good storytelling overlaps with comedy with drama oh, yeah. with like all of that stuff it's and it's all interesting those to, in all those pies. But, but as soon as you don't say something truthful not that I haven't but I've watched storytellers like sort of spinning it up a bit and you can tell that they're like mm. elaborating yeah. you're yeah. like Mm, I'm not invested now. Like I feel like the more, the more terrible and the more truthful a story is, the more con people connect with it. Sometimes, um, because there's a there's you get yeah. it gets very personal and you can connect. I suppose I I don't I've 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 heard some hilarious true tales. Yeah. Um, about about wonderful triumphant things. I've heard hilarious true tales about the saddest. <laughs> most depressing, heart-wrenching things I've ever heard and laugh my ass off while sure. hearing it. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's it's a different it's a different skill. Like it, like you can be funny, but no one expects you to be a stand-up comedian, right? Right. Like you can be poetic, but no one is expecting you to write sonnets. Like you can right. like you can have all of the elements of every sort of performance art without without being judged by that criteria. Mm -hmm. Right. Um I don't know. Like, I've, I don't think I've ever said anything blatantly untrue. Of course. But I think I think I've I've sort of stretched the metaphor for hyperbole's sake. Sure. But I've never. I don't think I've ever gone so far as to outright lie. Do you have you a know? favorite story that you've told? They're all my babies, Matt. Yeah, I know. It's They're all. Price. Um, I don't know. I think my favorite story is always the story I'm currently working on because it's it's. Um, which is a, uh, uh, I guess, a weird thing to say. It's 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 like the opposite of magic. Like my favorite, right. my favorite magic trick is my oldest one. Right. The one I've been doing the longest. That's my favorite one. Uh, but for storytelling, it's it's always the current one that's that's my favorite. Um, and because uh, I mean, because now now that I'm working on this new show, it's. It's it's not. Ugh, I cry. I cry a lot. And I mean, with the title like <laughs> "Cheating Death," I can't imagine why. Uh, yeah. It's it's this show's been really hard, and and which is why it's taken me so long to. And you've out. done some test runs of it. I know you have one coming up, although it might have happened already by the time this airs. Mm -hmm. But I know you did some last year too. Right? I did a I did a staged reading of a draft okay. of of. I think it was still called Life, Death, and Other Illusions, I think, uh, yeah. um, which is a horrible title. It is. And somebody should have fucking told me so <laughs> when I wrote it down. 
and I and I blame my friends for not fucking calling That's me out fair. on that shit. That's fair. Um, and I learned a lot from that reading, and then I sat on it for a year. <laughs> <laughs> like any good writer. Like any good writer. Well, because it was all percolating. It was all. I mean, the, the stuff I'm writing is very is very vulnerable, very hard to talk about. Um, it's it's stuff from my life that I've actively not told people. Sure. You know, and so having to mine all of this up and um, get get clarification from family members like this did this really happen or am I imagining this mm-hmm. happen? And uh, so it's it's been it's been a long road, but but um, I'm having a reading uh, actually this coming Saturday. Yeah. Uh, April seventh, if you're listening to this a, a year from now. <laughs> April seventh, twenty eighteen, if you're listening to it a year from now. And it's a it's a it's a new version of the script. Uh, it's about I'd say anywhere between thirty to forty percent different. Um, uh, 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 a lot of the magic is new. Mm-hmm. Um, the stories have been sort of re- reworked, recrafted, um, and it's a uh, ostensibly a new script. Yeah. And so, this reading is to because in the, f- the first reading, um, I, I at the end of the show, I. I said to them, hey, thank you so much for coming out. I love all of you. You probably have some thoughts and some feedback for me. Um, I don't want to hear it. I don't fucking care <laughs> what you have to say tonight. Um, if, if you're still thinking about it tomorrow, shoot me an email. Send me a message. If, if, it, if, if what you're thinking about is carried over into the next day, then let me know. Um, and I actually got a whole lot of really great, wonderful feedback. Lots of stuff I can use. Not, some stuff I can't use, but, right. but good to know. Right. Um, but this one, I'm I'm actively seeking feedback from the people in the audience. Awesome. Um, so Very cool. Yeah, there'll be a moderated sort of Q and A session. That's uh, fantastic. Yeah. And so, do you have a projected time period where the final version or the close to final version might be out? Do you have a goal at least? Or uh, I would. I, I I'm currently in talks. Knock on wood. I'm currently in talks with the Tank Theater about a fall run. Cool. Um, either a fall or early winter. We'll see what happens. Sure, of course. We'll see what happens. They have a new space where they have two theaters now. Oh, cool. And they need to fill it. They need content. <laughs> so I'm kind of hoping they'll give me uh, a three-week run to, nice. to do it. Uh, but that, that, is not, that is not set in stone. There's no contract. It's just like a verbal maybe. Sure. Which, you know. I mean, for the tank, maybe is a, is a good solid yes. Sure, of course. Yeah, at least, at least for me, I've, right. I've, you have I've a good had relationship. A, I've, had a, I've had a re- wonderful relationship with the tank for many, many years, and um, they know my work, and you know, uh, would love to have me back. I suppose. Yeah, I mean, I, well, I think, and what fascinates me about Cheating Death is I loved the st- like. I love, of course, I love the magic in mm-hmm. Gathering the Magic, but the storytelling in Gathering the Magic was particularly wonderful to me because there were a lot of emotional beats that I didn't expect to hit, mm-hmm. like. I believe it's that show where you talk about your asthma attack and your grandmother. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like that story is both hilarious and <laughs> terrifying. Yeah. Especially yeah, yeah. someone who has asthma, although I haven't had an attack in God knows how <laughs> long. Good. Yes. Um, so like hearing that story in the crowd sitting next to my wife, I'm like, <laughs> like I can feel myself like not really having an asthma attack, but like yeah, yeah. knowing. And so like there's a sense of uh, uh, relatability to your stories that I really enjoy. And so I'm looking forward to seeing Cheating Death and and seeing this different perspective, this different take. Um, yeah, me too. It's Gathering the Magic was designed to be a very specific show. Right. Um, 
It was designed. It was it was written and designed to be uh, very sweet, very earnest. Yeah. You know, very joyful. I mean, there there are some moments of vulnerability and maybe a little bit of danger, but I don't think anyone is ever really concerned for me no. throughout the course of the show. Right. Um, people walk away feeling really good. Mm-hmm. You know, at the end at the end of the show, um, and it's not that it's not that it's two dimensional or superficial, but there there isn't a lot of. It isn't particularly deep, right? Yeah, and that's a lot of it's on the surface. Yeah, and and that's fine. It was designed that way. It was designed to be a show because it was my first um, real solo show, right? Um, And I wanted to I wanted to have as as much of a mass appeal as possible because my idea was I was gonna I was gonna tour it through festivals and maybe get it picked up by uh, local theaters that were doing you know longer runs, and so I wanted this to be something that everybody can buy a ticket to. Mm Um, what I realized during and after Gathering of Magic is that I could have gone so much further. Right. I could have gone so much further, so much deeper, and they would have gone with me. And, and I was completely wrong in thinking that I need to leave an audience feeling good. Right. You know, um, because it's not my responsibility. Like, they're going to have whatever experience they're going to have. I can't control that. The only thing I can control is my narrative and hope that the way I've written it, it gives me the desired result, right? Sure. So, and I, so whereas I kind of like to think of gathering the magic as the, the merry-go-round at the, at the carnival, mm-hmm. right? It's fun, it might be a little dangerous, you know, uh, but, you know, but, uh, but at the end of the day, you know you're perfectly safe. Right. I equate gathering the magic to the, uh, you know, one thousand drop wooden roller coaster, <laughs> where it shakes like a uh, uh, it shakes like an earthquake. Um, you're you're only being held down by a thin metal bar. <laughs> it drops a thousand feet. It does it does you know four or five G's coming around the turn. You are sweating. You're screaming. You think you're about to die, and then it comes into the station, and you go, "Whew! What a ride!" Right. That's what I kind of equate gathering the magic to. It's it's gonna go up, it's gonna go down, you're gonna be you know, you might be concerned for me, you might be concerned for you. I'm gonna talk about things that are that are uncomfortable. Right. Uh, for both me and them. It might trigger people. Um, it's the only show where I have to issue a trigger warning, I think. And uh, I think at the end of it all, even the even the magic is designed to be uncomfortable sure you know um and my hope is at the end at the end of all like it, it becomes greater than the sum of its parts that that the experience the whole experience leaves them feeling um maybe not maybe not joyful or good about their life but appreciative of what they have and mm-hmm. and maybe more thoughtful about the people in their life or or the way that they're living their life and um you know and maybe maybe it it prompts them to tell somebody that they love them, you know, or make a phone call they've been putting off or, you know, um, try and make amends with someone that they uh, were at fault for, you know. Like, right. Uh, I mean, that's that's more that's more sort of my high-mindedness about their show. Of course. But that's that's what I kind of feel. It's 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 not so much a happy-go-lucky show and more like, oh, my, my life is ticking one minute at a time. I should probably go live it. I mean, but that's... That... <laughs> I, I like where that's coming from personally because yeah. I find that the music, movies, plays, video games that I tend to enjoy the most are the ones that 
are a roller coaster ride that I walk yeah. away thinking about that I, you know, or even walk away crying or upset. Like, yeah. you know, some of my favorite plays and musicals are ones where I walk away and I just feel like crap. Yeah. Because you've exercised something. Like, you've gone through something. Right. With a room full of other people. Right. And I think that's a powerful experience. And I feel like magic does that for the ups and downs, period. At least for me as an audience member, since I've never performed it, mm. is... Um, besides with Penn and Teller's magic kit nonsense that you have as a kid, although you had probably Houdini or something. Uh, Blackstone. Blackstone, Blackstone. okay. Blackstone Jr. Blackstone Jr. Um, But, like, I always walk away either with wonderment or confusion or, you know, even terror or discomfort. Like, I've watched... um, uh, uh, Matt Holtzclaw does the thing with the needle in his eye. And it's like, I've watched it on TV knowing he's going to be fine and the whole time I'm going, oh, no! You know, where it's like I've seen Marlo Marquis perform so many times and do those hanging from her skin and all of this yeah. stuff. And I go, uh, you know, even though I know she's fine. Yeah. She does it professionally. Yeah. But um, it's that kind of stuff that I think is really intriguing about magic and sideshow is that, you know, the person's not going to drop to the ground and die. But you're still <laughs> thinking for a second. Well, yeah, I think this is the single most pretentious thing I'm going to say ever in my life. I'll um, give it a week. Fair enough. Uh, <laughs> magic, unlike unlike literature or music or even even um, theater, right. right? Magic sort of transcends the the commonplace. Whereas right. whereas a book can describe what it's like to fly. In a magic show, you can actually watch someone fly. Right. You know, um, a, a song can talk about what it's like to disappear. You can actually, in a magic show, you can watch the experience of someone disappearing, you know? And I think way too many magicians are afraid of the metaphors that magic can provide and want to be cute, kids see, sure. you know? It's like, it's weird. Like, I've seen, there's a trick called um, the hand chopper or the finger chopper, mm-hmm. right? Where it's this little little device, or it's, well, I mean, in, in the case of a hand chopper, it's a big prop. In the case of a finger chopper, it's a little little device. It looks like a little guillotine. Mm-hmm. You put a cigarette in it. You chop it down. It, it breaks the cigarette in, in two pieces. You put a spectator's finger in it, and you slam it down, and the blade um, materializes through their finger on the, onto the other side. And it's a cute little trick that you can get at any magic store, the magic store for like six bucks, right? right. But it's played for laughs. It's played for cute, kitty, kitschy stuff, which is fine. Right. But, like, you're literally threatening to sever someone's finger. (laughs) And why no one plays that for its seriousness is beyond me. Mm -hmm. And so I don't, like, whereas Gathering the Magic, kind of appropriate for children. Right. Like, there was nothing really... I never, I never, there was nothing blue about the show. Yeah. I think there was one curse word in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all the magic was very approachable to mm-hmm. sort of any age range. This one is inappropriate for children, like, I would say under 13, you know, because okay. it's, 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 this magic isn't like bunny rabbits and, you know, balloon animals. This is like, I'm talking about very serious things. I'm talking sure. about death. I'm talking about self-harm. I'm talking about, uh you know, what it's like to be alone, you know, it's through the metaphor of a magic trick, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so I think, I don't know, I just, I want, I, I, I want to be able to 
here's the thing about magic that I think is impossible. It's impossible to further a narrative plot through magic mm -hmm. because magic requires way too much exposition. Right, so the magician, magician has to stand there for ten minutes and explain what he's going to do before he does it, because so that you are you're set up with an expectation about what's going to happen. Right, and that because that's necessary, it's hard to do narrative. Right. So m part of my goal with this show is, well, how do I do a magic trick if I never tell them what's going to happen? Interesting. Okay. You know, what if I yeah. what if I didn't say anything? Right, because a magic trick is all about. The setup, because right. then you create the expectation to right. then shatter. Exactly. Like I, you know, I tell you, you know, here's a normal deck of cards, and um, you know, you can see all of the pips, all the faces, mm -hmm. and now I'm gonna snap my fingers, and now they're all blank. Right. Your setup, the expectation is that there, it's it's a deck of cards, and then the magician usurps that expectation by making all of the faces disappear. And now it's just blank pieces of paper. Right. What if he just did it? What if, or she, for that matter? What if right. the magician just did it. Right. Well, I, I mean, thinking about it, there's only one trick of yours that I know that you do without talking on stage, which is your balloon act. Um, your string act that you've done, where you've, um, you did it. The uh, rope routine. Yes, the rope yes, routine. yes, yes, yes. You, which you do to music, but yeah. you don't say anything. You just perform it. Yeah. Um, but like, and then all of, most of your YouTube, most of your YouTube videos, there's no explanation. Yeah. You, you pantomime yeah. and show the trick, but for the most part you don't tell anybody anything. Yeah. And so, and I always do find those tricks more um, engrossing the YouTube ones, because I can't like, I can't put it on in the background and not pay attention because you're going to tell me <laughs> what's going to happen and then I can tune in. Like, I have to watch. And I, you know, I have to watch carefully because you don't say anything. And so I think that's interesting that designing a show around that and having a narrative, but you don't really necessarily discuss the trick. It just happens. I think that's really cool. Yeah, I think I don't. I don't. I don't think it's possible to do it for all magic tricks, but um, because some just need it. Right. Right. You just you need you need the story for the trick to make sense, and um, which is also true for my show. Like, not all of them are silent because I because it's impossible, but I'm I'm attempting to. Perform magic the way it was originally intended, as right. metaphor, as an extension of an idea that is relatable in some human context, right? Right. And so, you know, every story is paired up with a magic trick that, to me, makes sense and hopefully makes sense to the audience. Um, but I won't know that until until the show, Done. basically. Um, have you found the writing process for this show cathartic? Getting this, because I know you said you're dredging up stuff that you weren't thinking about. Do you feel like getting as you get at each thing on the page that it's uh, it's helpful? Cathartic is not the word I would use. Okay, uh, I would use horrible. Horrible. Terrible. Uh, never want to do this again. Uh, I think if I wasn't such a stickler for being a completionist. Mm -hmm. I probably would have dropped this a long time ago. But there's there's a part of my brain that once I've decided to do something won't allow me to not do it. Mm -hmm. So I'm don't get me wrong. I, I'm I'm glad that the show is written. Mm -hmm. I'm glad that I'm gonna get to perform it, and I'm glad that I, I might get a run of it. I really do. But the creation part of it, it was horrible. Right. Uh, and it's it's I mean, I might do it again because, like, you know, like childbirth or, 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 you know, 
uh, gallbladder pain. Like you forget how much it hurt until you go through it again. Until you go through it again, and it's yeah. like, oh, you know what? I should do another show where I talk about death and diet and stuff. And then and you get into it. Oh my God, this is exactly why I didn't want to do this in the first place. Um, it's it's also a large part of the reason why I've stepped back from the burlesque scene by and large because I just once because I'll have a stupid idea yeah and I'll put it out into the world and then I don't have anybody in my life who's like no 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 Nelson take a seat that's you're talking crazy everyone is like everybody's hey like, you go, go yeah, for it oh my god you should do it and this that and the other thing and I'm like alright let's do it let's put out a show gang and then fucking horrible things happen and so wow. uh, I just I, I I I need to focus on doing the things that I am, <laughs> that I am mentally prepared to do, and yeah. so I've I've had to say no to a lot, a lot, a lot of stupid ideas that might have been wonderful. But sure. Who knows? This this show cheating death might be the dumbest idea of them all, uh, but at least it, at least I will know. Right, you know you'll I mean? have done it exactly. And fail or succeed, it's on my own sort of merits, and and I get I get both the the benefit and the pitfalls. <laughs> For, for my success and or failure. Well, I think uh, uh, coming into one's own as an artist, it's important to learn to learn your limits and then go, eh, fuck it, I'm gonna go over them anyway. <laughs> I mean, like, it, it's funny, every time my, my parents, my parents are very supportive. They don't, they know what burlesque is and they know what I do, but right. they don't, they, they don't, don't understand. They, yeah. like, they're happy that I'm happy, but like, my dad keeps asking, so, you know, how will you know when you're doing too many shows? Because I told him in February I did like 10 shows that month and March I'm doing There's eight. no such thing as too many shows. Right. And so I said, well, <laughs> the, I, you know, I can't burn out until I, until I can't know what my limit is until I hit it and go past it. Yeah. And he's like, that doesn't sound good. I was like, yeah, but that's the... That, Welcome to showbiz. I mean, that's realistically the... the And I'm super thankful for all the gigs I have oh, and yeah, all the people yeah. I'm working with. Um, except this one guy who hired me to do Industry Night. He's a dick. Well, that asshole owes me money. <laughs> um, I did want to talk about that a little bit, um, although I can't promise there will be a show in May yet um, because we haven't talked about that. Um, I've been really excited to be a part of that show with you uh -huh. because I've never worked with you before. Yeah. We've always been friends in the community, but we've never worked on a show together, and it's been a blast. It. Um, I love the fact that you created and curated a variety show. <laughs> In that has some burlesque, but for the most part, it allows me to see something besides burlesque. I see a lot of burlesque working burlesque, which is great. Sure. And I love burlesque. Yeah. But like the last month that I hosted, which was in March, I I got to see storytelling and sure. stand up. I got yeah. to see a 90 year old woman do uh, gymnastics and dance. <laughs> like it was just such a great mix of people. Where did the idea to do something like that come from? Is it just because you wanted to see that in the world and you were like, fuck it, let's give it a shot? Well, I've I've always wanted to like I've always wanted to do this. Like I've right. I've always had a I've always had a love of vaudeville and mm -hmm. and variety theater. And um in fact one of the one of the first shows that I produced when I when I um uh, not moved. Like one of the first shows I produced when I started performing as a magician professionally was a show called Vaudeville Nouveau, mm -hmm. and this was produced out of the Workshop Theater, and it ran for two years, and was wonderful and failed miserably. <laughs> um, not because of the talent, because it was it was the same format. I would get yeah. in variety artists, but it, the 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 space, the timing, the venue. It yeah. was just it was a it was a, a perfect storm of just inconvenience that just made it impossible for it to succeed. Um, and then 
and that and and because and then when that ended, it always made me a little sad because I always wanted Vaudeville Laveau to be the place where people came to try out new material. Like professionals came to try out new material, or brand new performers came to get some stage time, or you know really old performers came back to dust off you know acts, or you know just a, a place where professionals can perform for other professionals and find a a kind audience. Um, a, a loving audience and where they can feel safe to fail. Right. Ultimately. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe and make a little money on the side. Right. You know. Um, and so I've always wanted to do that. The, the, the fact that I got sidetracked with producing burlesque <laughs> and then and was a fucking accident. And, and then I thought that was important for some stupid reason. And so... <laughs> I stopped doing that and then start focusing on my own work. And as fulfilling as that is, I still love variety. And there aren't a whole lot of variety shows. There's mm-hmm. tons of burlesque shows. Yep. There's a you know there's a circus show. There's stand up. There's storytelling all in their individual bubbles. Yeah. But there's no one place I can go and see it all. And so I got an opportunity to do something at the Red Room, mm-hmm. which is the bar. Which is the speakeasy above KGB bar, which is the bar above the Crane Theater. Right. Only in New York. <laughs> yes. And and I was struggling for an idea to fit there because I, I had done a a Puerto Rico fundraiser there. I had done uh, 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 I had given that night to uh, leave alone to do a fundraiser mm-hmm. there and and done a couple of things. I'm like, you know what? I'm just gonna do a fucking Open a curated open mic mm-hmm. variety show, and I'm gonna—I don't know—I'm gonna call. I'm gonna call. I'm gonna industry night. Fuck it, I don't <laughs> care. Like it's—it's it's the show that I wish was around when I was performing. Mm-hmm. And there, I mean, there was a show called Floating Vaudeville, which was at Galapagos for for, for many many years, where um, I sort of got my first stage time on, and I missed that show, and I missed the vibe of that show, and so I kind of wanted to sort of recreate that on a smaller scale, ultimately. I mean, um, I think it's really cool. Someone who kind of came into the burlesque scene blinded by only burlesque. Yeah. Like, I didn't really see any of that other stuff. And admittedly, there are some variety shows. But right, there's not a lot of them. No. There's very few. And so I thought it was a great idea. And I was excited to get to DJ with you. Yeah. You know, and then once you became a DJ, like this idea of us trading off, of course, you've been busy doing, like, your fancy rapper acts. <laughs> well, I can't, I can't host my own show because I'm getting a paid gig <laughs> yeah. for another a show. show. Um, but, no, but it's been really, it's been really cool, A, to get on that stage and host, but also to DJ when you're hosting. Right. Um, and then also, like, for this month, uh, Bunny Buxom is going to host. Yeah. Which is awesome. And she's a fantastic host. Yeah, she's great. Um, I just think it's really cool to have that space. And also, every month we've had an, uh, an open mic act. So there's a five-minute slot mm-hmm. in every in every set that someone can put their name in a hat in intermission and they can get up and perform. Like the first show we had some guy with a keytar come up I and play. I know. How random was it that? It was so cool. That was so cool. Um, you know, and then the, the first month that you missed, we had... Uh, Betty Brash came out, came up, and did a strip tease to one of our DJ Steve's songs. He had just some twenties music, and she just stripped into her bra and panties, and like it was just you know an improv strip, as it were, awesome. which was awesome. Yeah, yeah. You know, and so I love this opportunity for people, and both of those people, like this guy showed up with a guitar. He knew he was going to try and get on stage. Yeah. You know, and Betty Brash is a performer; she's a professional. Like these people coming up and just doing whatever on stage. Yeah. Because they hear their stage time is fun, and it curates a fun environment. I I think. 
think so. I think so. I I, I just I wanted <laughs> there there weren't a whole lot of spaces for new performers to try out new material. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and and the ones that are are curated within an inch of their life, yeah. and so they're not really that green. Yeah. They're just relatively new, and I'm like you know and and. To be on those stages, they have to pitch an act or submit a video, and like, I don't care. Yeah, I don't care if you have a video. Yeah, I really don't. It's like you know, it, basically, it's first come, first serve. Yeah, I put the call out. Whoever gets to me, I have six slots. The first six people get a fucking spot. That's yeah. how it works. Yeah, I don't care if you have a video. I don't care if you have no videos. I, if you have an act, good or bad. You're gonna get the stage time because sure. I think people need that. Well, yeah, because also you don't know if you're not doing something well until you bring it to stage. Also, exactly. You could think something's perfect in your living room and then get on stage and it fails horribly. But until you get that feedback, how would you even know? Well, that's just it. It's like it's the catch twenty two of how am I as a new performer supposed to have video of an act I've never performed before if no one in order to it. get into a show <laughs> for new performers? <laughs> you know, it's it's yeah. just fucking stupid yeah. and. And if you also, like, if, if you tell the audience and you lower the bar really fucking low and you say, and because it's a, it's a uh, suggested donation, mm-hmm. they can get in for a dollar. Yeah. Or they can get in for $100. It's entirely their call. But whatever they paid for, they're getting their money's worth. Right. You know, it's, you know, you're going to see acts tonight that are going to be fucking fantastic. You're going to see acts tonight that may not be fucking fantastic. But it's going to be a show. We're all going to have a good time because people are here to show you what they have. Yeah. And we're all going to clap. We're all going to laugh. And we're all going to, you know, we're all going to have a good time anyway. So, I don't know. It's like, I don't. (laughs) <laughs> it's like for, for this show it is such it is such a low maintenance show yeah can you do the show great you can't do the show don't give a fuck yeah there's five more people I can get to fill your slot <laughs> right you know and, and, and also it's no skin off my nose if you right. can't make it this month make it next month I don't care come to the show anyway yeah. have a good time give me a buck you know <laughs> to talk, you know t- toss somebody into the DJ's cup I don't care I, I want I just I wanted a show uh, where people can come and see the best of the best and the greenest of the greenest on the same damn stage. Yeah. It, you know. And and I think that that's a really dare I say noble cause. Eh, I mean, I, I don't know if it's noble. I, I mean, mean, it's just like new, new performers gain something by being on the same stage as polished performers. Sure. Polished performers will learn something from brand new performers. Of course. So it's 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 not as altruistic <laughs> as, as all that. Like I want to be in a room with people performing from their heart. Right. Right. Sure. Because I'm gonna get inspired by that, and it's gonna make me a better artist. So you know, I'm it's it's not that fucking noble. <laughs> so shut the fuck up. All right. All right. All right. <laughs> Simmer down. Um, well, I think it's also. You know, you talking about how you took a step from Burla- back from Burlesque, although now you're producing again, and albeit the whole first show that we worked together, you bitched about being a producer again. I hate, I hate being a producer. I know. I really and do. yet you're doing it. But, <laughs> but I don't really blame you for taking a step back. I mean, considering everything, you know, that's going on in the burlesque industry, like, I have this crazy idea about burlesque. Mm. Don't be a dick. That's not enough. I know. <laughs> it's not enough. And the yeah, fact yeah. the fact that that's the low bar and people still can't hit it. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, a yeah. bummer. And like, you know, you know me. I'm obnoxiously positive. And the, the past year or two, the, there are moments where the burlesque community has almost broken me because it's just 
these terrible people getting away with shitty shit. Oh yeah, I hate I hate burlesque. And and I know you I do. I really do. I hate it. And and it's but it's interesting also like when I had Keita on the show recently, she said fuck the burlesque scene. Yeah. I'm performing burlesque for my friends and my peers. But I, I don't want to get involved in the drama. And I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I'm just saying I don't blame her for having that perspective. Yeah. Because it's gotten so frustrating. I mean, there, I'm, well, I, I guess I'm two minds of this. Yeah. Um, I'm never going to fault anyone for trying to stay out of it. Of course. Absolutely. Because it is a fucking cesspool filled with landmines. Yeah. I get it. I absolutely get it. And I will not I will never fault you for it. However, uh there are some people who have the privilege of turning a blind eye to it. Yeah. And I don't I am not as comfortable with that. Of course. You know, when you are willfully ignorant of what's going on in the art scene that you propose to be a part of. Yeah then you're hurting people whether you think you are or not. Yeah. And, you know, the, 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 the stuff that's been going on has been going on for a very long time. Of course. It's not new. It's no. just newly... It's, it's, it's been brought to light. It's been brought to light, yeah. And uh, I am... <laughs> I'm currently embroiled in a, in a uh, particular... Uh, mess. Yeah. Uh, uh, I'm being sued for defamation, um, and uh, according to my lawyer, that is all I'm allowed to say at Which this point. Um, uh, and it's, I don't have the privilege of not knowing what's going on. Of course, yeah. You know, I would love to ignore burlesque. Yeah. I successfully ignored burlesque for many years when I stepped away. Yeah. And uh, you know, I, I am now. I am now. For better or for worse, uh, attached to the hip yeah. to the New York City burlesque scene, uh, and I don't want to be. The, yeah. It was the last thing I ever wanted. I don't care. I, I you know I didn't. I don't care enough about it to be this involved in it. Um, but I decided to speak up, and that had consequences. So uh, until that settled, you know, for better or for worse, I am now. Uh, <laughs> I am I am acutely interested in, in what happens in the burlesque scene. scene. Yeah. Yes, um, but it's it, it is a shame, and I think you're you're right that the people who and I I was absolutely guilty of trying to not get sucked into some of some of the chest pounding and some of the you know I don't, all, I don't blame all, all of the other stuff. But I don't blame but you. it was this year that. We're not this year. We're in 2018. I still think it's 2017. <laughs> it, it, 2017 was the year of me going, oh hell no, yeah. I, I can't. I can't be quiet. I have to, you know. I, and I don't want to. You know, I'm not here to name names or whatever. It's I have to stand up for the people I believe in because I know them and I believe in them. But just the same, there are people in the last couple of years that I've also had to go. Nope, I'm fucking done with you. I can't believe yeah. you did X, Y, or Z. And it's a it's a bummer, but it's also not about me. I lost a friend. Ooh. Like Well, it's 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 I get it. It's sad. You know, nobody wants to rock the boat. Nobody wants to nobody wants to be that person because I was that person and look what happened to me. You know what I mean? Like, I get it, you know. But just the same, you have to, you can't, especially in the times we're living in now, you can't be quiet about this stuff anymore. Any of it. Any problems no. in, in any art form and any industry, you have to speak up. Well, it's sort of like, I mean, if people aren't safe in 
the art community of their choice, then what's the fucking point? Like, why are I we know. creating art in the first place? Like, know. you know, why bother? <laughs> it's it's like you're, we're not doing this for our fucking health. We're not doing it for the money. <laughs> Lord knows we're not doing it for the fucking money. <laughs> You know what? Exactly. Like nobody's fucking enough. getting rich off this. This is this is this is we want to do this because we're passionate about it because mm -hmm. we we love it. We love the people in it. We love we love doing it. We get something from it as a yeah. result of doing it. And whatever that something is is important enough to keep doing it. Yeah. Regardless of how much money we make. Right. Whatever art form you're in, right? right? And if those spaces aren't safe, what the fuck are we doing? I know. Yeah. Totally. You know, it's it just it boggles my fucking mind. Yeah, same. You know, and I look, I I I, I, I know that there are, are lots of hardliners who sort of draw the line and have this notion of you're either with me or against me. Mm -hmm. And I don't hold that. Yeah. I really don't. Of I mean course. if if you know because the the, the person who's who's suing me I would have I would have called him my best friend a few years ago. If you would ask me who he was, I would have said he was my best friend. I also would have I, I have also publicly defended him against people who were uh, saying unkind things about him mm -hmm. and almost lost several friends doing that. I did not do this lightly. Yeah. This was not a thing that I, that I, I on a lark, yeah. you know, to get even or or uh, uh, lash back. Right. Because quite frankly, I don't care enough about him. Right. To think this much about him. Right. You know, but it, you know, it, it was time to say something. Yeah. You know, and and for people who don't know what the fuck I'm talking about, I'm sure Matt will put a link in the show notes to to all to the information about this lawsuit and and the defamation and the other people involved. Yeah. Um, you know, and the thing is, like, nobody's fucking immune. I mean, I'm also guilty of being problematic. Yeah. You know what I mean? When I was a producer in burlesque, um, uh, I unwittingly because I'm a fucking idiot and I don't know any better. I asked out women who I was hiring for shows. That is sexual harassment. Right. You know, and I can, I can plead ignorance. I can plead stupidity all I want. But at the end of the day, um, I potentially made people feel uncomfortable as a result of my position and their status. And that was wrong. Absolutely fundamentally wrong. And it was brought to my attention. And I own that. And, mm -hmm. I, and that, that is a thing that I am going to have to clean up for however long that takes to clean up. And I take full responsibility for it. But if we're not going to hold each other accountable... Of course. In, ...in this art form, then there's no point being in the art form. Yeah. You know? No, I agree. Uh, and, uh, I, and also, I saw, the, I saw the writing on the wall, and I just want it out. Yeah. I want it out. I, I, did, I didn't want to be a, a cisgendered straight male burlesque producer in New York City anymore yeah. because I was a fucking dinosaur and I was becoming obsolete and I just I didn't want to stand in anybody's way sure just I wanted to just get out get out while while I was on top <laughs> and and just you know quietly leave and work on my magic yeah now <laughs> I have no choice yeah. But to be to pay attention to every tiny little fucking thing that happens in the New York City burlesque scene, you know. Um, but I appreciate you being candid about it and talking as much as you can about it because you and the people involved are important to me. Mm. And I've publicly said I stand behind you. 
And and we appreciate that. Thank and, you. And that's whatever that is. Yeah. And and leave it as it is. And I will put in the show notes the details so people can read up on their own um, uh, and objectively make their own decision. Um, but I, I think it's important to talk about this stuff too because, yeah. you know, to my knowledge, I've never made anyone uncomfortable in the burlesque scene. But I'm also very careful and I care. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean I haven't. It just means well, I don't I mean, know. Well, I mean, to be to be fair, I also thought that I was careful right. and aware. Um, but your reaction was the appropriate reaction. When someone told you you fucked up, you went, oh, my God, I fucked up. I need to do better. Yeah. I need to be better, and I'm sorry. And what drives – and I, uh, the people walking around going, I'm afraid someone's going to call me out. Did you do something? <laughs> like, I'm not, I don't spend every day being afraid someone's going to call me out because if someone's calling me out, it's because I did something that I'm not aware of. Yeah. If you're worried about being called out, you're the problem. <laughs> so, you know. Well, it's, I, I mean, it's, uh, yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's, I, I have a lot I want to say that I can't. And that's fine. Um, I, I just, I want, all I've ever wanted for the New York City burlesque community is for it to be a safe space, mm-hmm. you know. And I tried in my own small way to have that be a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, in in many ways, I succeeded, and in many ways, I didn't. And I'm learning from those mistakes. And uh, as a result of it, I I hope I'm becoming a better person. Um, you know, someone who can be trusted, someone who can be uh, a safe space for mm-hmm. people. You know, sure. Um, but I also know that. The, the New York City burlesque community is not my space. Right. And, you know, I'm I'm very cognizant of my place in it. And whenever I get invited to be on those stages and um, the opportunities that I have to give to people for industry night, mm-hmm. you know, um, I'm very, very careful to have a very limited amount of burlesque in it. Right. You know, so it doesn't become a burlesque show. Right. And, um, you know... Uh, uh, and also having you there and having uh, alternating hosts. And I think that kind of breaks it up. And, mm-hmm. and I, hope, I hope I've done enough to make it a safe space. I mean, you know? I've, I, no one um, I know has complained and I have no complaints. I always feel comfortable and grateful. And I know the performers do too. And they're always well, that's, very thankful. That's, that's good to hear. But I mean, ultimately, I'm never really going to know. Right. Until, I mean, I'm, ne- I'm not going to know something's happened until it's happened. Right. And all I can do is help sort of mitigate as much as I can. Sure. For the for the people who are trusting me to for a stage that they can be vulnerable on, right? Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I I, <sighs> I all I all I want to be is a fucking magician and a storyteller and a DJ and sometimes a producer of stupid vlogging <laughs> shows. That's all I want. That's all be. you want. That's all I want to be, and um, unfortunately, I don't have that privilege, and so I have to fight for my right to be heard. And so this is what I'm doing now. Well, I appreciate you coming on my show, of course, as always. Thank you, man. Um, Thank I you. appreciate you being candid and chatting with me. Um, I appreciate, I do appreciate you reaching out to me for DJ advice, again, in six months when you're better than me and touring the world. <laughs> Just remember that's, little that's, little DJ Storm again. That's not a thing. Um, but uh, but thank you for coming on the show. It's always a pleasure to chat with you. Um, so the Green Fairy party is every month. It's the first Thursday of every month at the Red Room, mm-hmm. which is uh, the Speakeasy that is above the KGB Bar, which is above the Crane Theater, only <laughs> in New York, York City. Yes. Um, 
Uh, as of now, Industry Night is the second Thursday of every month. As of now, yes, yes, yes. Um, if there are any changes, of course, before this episode comes out, I will post that in the show notes sure. as well. Um, uh, my last uh, favor to ask before we wrap up sure. is if you will say my oh, saying, my tagline. You're stupid fucking. Your tag. You want to say your tagline? I do. You piece of shit. Yeah. What's After your whole rant. What's your tagline? What's, so what is it? So we've always had a saying on the Crash Chords podcast, which is yeah. a music review show, which is music is life and life is good. Yeah. And I continue to say it on this show, even though it's not always about music, because I feel like all of the stuff we've just talked about amounts to if you're creating good art yeah. your life is good you can have a good life if you're making good art you know that is certainly possible absolutely and, yeah. and so the the saying is still music is life and life is good if you would sign us off nelson lugo all right oh but, here we go but buckle up campers it's uncle nelson here oh that was creepy let's do that again uh uh hey there loyal listener Nelson Lugo here. I uh, want to give a sign-off. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, music is life, and life is good. If you enjoyed these interviews, please subscribe to this and the Crash Chords podcast on iTunes, where you can also rate us and review us. You can also like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Crash Chords Web, our Tumblr, and our YouTube channel. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to post in the comment area below each post. And keep the discussion going, because remember, music is life and life is good.